2: Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given. It is myself, Toby Tarrant and the inimitable Mr. Daniel Norcross and all-round England cricket heartthrob, Stephen Finn is with me as ever as well. I have to say actually, although Finney is very much the poster boy and the star and the heartthrob of this podcast, I was at Liverpool Lime Street Station earlier this week, so I went up to Liverpool game at Anfield. And I dropped a bag off in like a little hold all luggage area whilst I went to the game, and I picked it up after the game, and the man serving me said, oh, I love the podcast, by the way. And I went, oh, thank you very much. I said, oh, I thought we only had one listener. It must be two. And he said, no, I listen as well every week. And he said, the more I listen to that Dan Norcross, the more I want to go for a drink with him. And I told him that he was a fucking terrible judge of character, and, uh, and I walked away.
0: Hang on, was he trying to sell Bitcoin?
2: <laughs> what? Why? The people that sell Bitcoin, do they warm to you, weirdly?
0: I'm right in their wheelhouse. Now they found out I'm working on telly. They know I've got money to burn. So they're just always banging away at a bloody door. Mr. Norcross, would you care to invest your newfound wealth in Bitcoin? No, mate. It's a fucking Ponzi scheme. Leave me alone. I'm just going gonna... to... I'm stocking up on lentils for the end times. <laughs>
2: <laughs> now... It's interesting, um immediately I know that you have um, you've taken a huge gamble there, slagging off the Bitcoin community. I know this from experience, so I talked about cryptocurrency on my on my radio show a few months back and and I said, and I stand by this by the way, I said at the time, I am sure there's lots of very clever people making lots of money off of Bitcoin and dogcoin or whatever else the fuck you can invest in now, but in my experience, all the people that have tried to encourage me to buy cryptocurrency and to buy Bitcoin, this is purely in my experience, it's purely anecdotal, are stoner virgins that live in their mum's basement. And so I don't want to take any financial advice from them because I'm, I'm, I'm seeing how it's doing for them and it doesn't look very rewarding
0: yet. And, and hey, they're, right, be- they're either that or they're evangelical Christians who don't believe in God. And and so they they come at you with a different staring eye. And what is really worrying me is that they might both be right, you know. Mm. And what's happened is that we're filled with a whole series of unconscious biases that have been grown through the years, like, you know, avoid starey-faced nutters or virgins in their mother's basements. And we'd be wrong all along. You know, we, we could be enormously wealthy if we hurl ourselves upon virgins in People's mother's basement. <laughs> no, I didn't mean it to come out quite like that. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't type that into
2: Google would I? if 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 you are listening to this. If you keep your safe search on if you do. Uh, but anyway, so I dared to criticize all these people. And oh, the flack I got on on online. Weirdly, on Facebook, so a video went out on the Radio X Facebook page of me slagging off people that encourage people to buy Bitcoin. And I got absolutely bombarded by people on Facebook laying into me. The weird thing is, cryptocurrency is meant to be the future, this sort of forward-thinking, amazing, technological, financial advance. And they're all on Facebook. No one's used Facebook in about 10
0: fucking years. No. Well, th- there is, there's, there's that, isn't there? And, and there's also the fact that, um, isn't, it, isn't it always a bit safe just to have money? I mean, money. i mean, um, a, a big fan of money. Yeah, I mean, again, that came out the wrong way. I'm not that much of a fan of money. I, I prefer the spiritual pleasures. I prefer, for example, the incredible revelation I had this week. I don't know, you know, I've been talking about Fanny Trimmer quite a lot.
2: Yeah, I should explain to people that didn't hear the last few weeks or zoned out when you were talking about Fanny Trimmer. That Fanny Trimmer is a uh, like your great 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 grandma who died. She's my great great, great
0: grandmother, but but more fascinatingly, she gave birth to a daughter and called it Fanny. Uh, because you know the original Fanny Trimmer was born Fanny something else, but she married someone called trimmer and then out of brutality when she had a daughter she named it Fanny because presumably she felt it needed to be you know that awful but then i was I was mulling over cane Banana, and this is the cricket link so I'm sure you're all aware that the very first president of Zimbabwe was a, an extraordinary man called Canaan Banana who became who became president of uh, of Zimbabwe in 1980. And In 1982, he had to pass a law to stop people making jokes about his name. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is that his name I don't think is as funny as his wife's. Uh, because Kayla Banana had a, a, a very erudite and extraordinary woman wife who became, uh, who, who uh, lived in England for 16 years claiming political asylum in the early 2000s. And she went by the name of Janet Banana. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Like, it's funny, for some reason, I don't know why. Just Janet, well, Janet, first name Janet, surname Banana.
0: And all <laughs> I can think of now, all I can think of is is Janet Banana and Fanny Trimmer being introduced to each other at a dinner party. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Do you know what? Whilst you've been talking down Norcross, producer Sal has WhatsApped our, our WhatsApp message saying, Come on, fellas, this is boring. Get a move on. <laughs> what is not-
0: boring about Janet Banana? <laughs> Sal has got absolutely no sensitive taste whatsoever. <laughs> Janet Banana is one of the... Well, firstly, one of the great... When International Women's Day is coming up this week, and you're already sticking the finger up at Janet Banana, which is absolutely bang out of order, quite frankly, because she is a role model for a lot of people of a similar type in Southern Africa.
2: We'll come back to, uh, to Janet Banana at a later date. That's all
0: Crosby. I've been able to think about all week. So I've, I have nothing else to contribute to the rest <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> uh, now, we're,
2: this is a record. We're eight minutes into the podcast and Finney hasn't fucking spoken yet. Now, Finny, I've got a couple of questions for you. First of all, have you uh, gone down the cryptocurrency path? Because I, I can imagine cricketers, that they seem like the type. They'll be all over that. I bet in, in the dressing room, there's some bloke who's always trying to sell you crypto.
1: Um, no, no, I've not quite dabbled in it yet. I mean, I completely drifted off when you were speaking there, um, into a stupor because it was incredibly boring to listen to all of that, but yeah eight minutes worth of it as well. I, um, no, I've not, I've not dabbled into cryptocurrency too much, but I have encountered the people that try and sell it to you and try and tell you that if you invest now, you'll be a, a billionaire in five years time, but I've not quite succumbed to it. Now the other thing I wanted to ask you actually
2: I've been meaning to ask you this before because I was one, I was thinking oh, could I imagine Finney being like some weird bloke in a in a basement somewhere dealing in crypto and not really if you hadn't been a cricketer finney what would you have been do you reckon
1: um, I think do you know what <laughs> I don't know it's quite crack sad addict. isn't it I don't know how I'd have um I don't know how I would've afforded the crack <laughs> um, I,
2: <laughs> so the only reason you wouldn't have been a crack addict is purely financial
1: I feel that way yeah I feel like that would be the case yeah I, I was quite obsessed with trains and driving trains so I mean the London Underground boats go on strike every other week so it sounds like a pretty nice gig so it could be um,
0: <laughs> just
1: offended another one of our listeners well wow. somewhere. <laughs>
0: You are offending me apart from anything else. I'd never go on. <laughs> no, I love I, I love, love the London Underground. Underground train drivers. Yeah, I love it too. I did it beautiful everywhere. Beautiful people, men and women. <laughs> to,
2: to be fair, we're going in the right direction because a few weeks ago it didn't Finney really basically insult nurses and doctors. So this is a step yeah. in the right direction. I don't
1: know <laughs> if I did that, did I? Um, yeah, I my figured. sister's an occupational therapist I've got a lot of respect for people who work for the National <laughs> Health Service
0: my sister works for the NHS but I, you know do I have any respect for my sister I don't know why, why, why is everyone supposed to have respect for their sisters all of a sudden you don't, you don't have to have I mean if your sister's a raving maniac I mean by the way my sister isn't a raving maniac you, you, you don't have to just let your sister off the hook I just want no. to make that absolutely clear no. Well, I grew up with four sisters
2: and um, four yeah. sisters is a lot for any man to endure. It's alone, you know, a, a young, a young chap like myself. I was the youngest as well.
0: Oh, four God. older
2: sisters trying to tell me how to live my life. Unbelievable. Well, we should probably talk vaguely about cricket at some point. Now the thing that I want to talk about first is an article that I was reading on Crick Info this week. And uh, I want to get your guys' opinions on it. So, there's a theory going around that we might be living in the greatest era of test bowling of all time. So Pat Cummins, Ashwin, Rabada, Salvi, Bumrah, Anderson, Broad and Mohamed Shami have all taken 100 plus test wickets at an average of under 25 in the last four years. And basically, without boring you loads of stats, it's pretty much the best era statistically at least of bowling in the last 60 years and the question is why is that going on is it that that is an unbelievable army of fast bowlers and spin bowlers obviously that has a factor in it is all batting getting shit we've banged on about england a lot in the last well year about how crap their, their batting's got but is batting across the board getting worse and worse in test cricket because of the advent of white ball cricket are uh, the pitchers getting harder to bat on? Um, I don't really know the reason. I do know that Stephen Finn, can you imagine how good Finney's figures would have been if he'd just, you know, waited a few years? If he'd just been born a few years later and lived in this era where nobody can nobody can bat at all? Uh, what do you genuinely think the reason for that is, Finney? Because amazing names, Cummins, Ashwin, Rabada, Salvi, Boomer, Anderson, Broad, Shammy, all incredible bowlers. But are they better than Anderson, Warren, Muraliferen, you name it, bowlers of the last 20, 30 years, who statistically, those guys have all done better?
1: I think it's not just a comparison between those guys that have the good statistics over the last four years. I think you have to compare them to their peers. So um, I think if you compare those averages to the next best bowlers, you'd probably find in quite a few bowlers averaging late 20s or 30 in the last few years. When I think the the disparity between the two before may have been wider. I think Andy Zaltzman did some interesting stuff on bowling averages and the best fast bowlers of all time, and slightly on a tangent, but the best fast bowler of all time statistically is Dale stain because at the same time, every other bowler in the world was averaging between 29 and 32, and this is Anderson broad. Averages were even higher than that, and Dale Steyn was averaging 21 or 22 in that period so in terms of compared to his peers you would say that he's arguably the greatest fast bowler of all time but in terms of the group that are there at the moment are they amazing bowlers yes yes they are amazing bowlers and we're lucky to have more in world cricket at the moment but are they better than those guys uh, that you mentioned in the second group it's hard to say and it's difficult to say but I do definitely think bowlers as a whole over the last four
0: years, their statistics would have been a lot better. There's a, it's such an incredibly complicated conversation, this. But I think a really good place to start is by looking at the fast bowling resources of countries like New Zealand and India, who traditionally didn't have particularly strong fast bowling units until very recently. New Zealand had just won a test match by beating South Africa, for the first time in, what is it, 18 years, by an innings and 260-odd runs. And the guy that took most of the wickets was Matt Henry, who before this had averaged about 50-odd in in Test cricket and is down the pecking order in New Zealand cricket. They have Trent, Bolt, Tim Southey, Neil Wagner, Carl Jameson. Bolt wasn't available, so they bring in Matt Henry. Now, for New Zealand to have that, when I was growing up, Graham Gooch famously said about New Zealand, you faced World 11 at one end and Ilford seconds at the other. And he meant Hadley and everyone else. You look at India, like their fast bowling peak, what would it have been? Kapil Dev on his own with a bit of Madden Lal or Venkatesh Prasad and Javagal Srinath? Well, now they got Mohammed Shami, they got Umesh Yadav, Jasprit Bumrah, uh, Bhuvneshwar Kumar, we hardly ever talk about, Mohammed Siraj. They've got an incredible number of fast bowlers. The West Indies they really actually struggle for fast bowlers a lot after that, that period of dominance. And now, it was only three years ago that the top three averaging bowlers in the world, I think it was 2018, were West Indies, so Shannon Gabriel, Jason Holder, and Kimar Roach. The depth of fast bowling, and we haven't even got to Australia with Hazelwood coming, stark. It's absurd, and they bring in bloody Scott Boland, who looks like an exhausted shire horse and he takes five for six in, in no time. So on the face of it, there are all these wonderful bowlers. At the same time, on the face of it, there are not these great batters. So how do you square this circle? Because cricket is a zero-sum game. You know, when you look at averages, it's there's batters and bowlers. Are we looking at an incredibly poor period for test match batters? Because that's what we're really talking about here. And if you name the best test match batters in the world, well, one of them's just basically been retired, Cheteshwa Pujara. What are we looking at? Coley, Williamson, Smith, Root, Labashane. Who are the guys that strike fear into you when they come out to bat? When Finney was bowling, Australia had like Stuart Clark, uh, Stuart Clark, Michael Clark, you know, they had, they had like, Damien Martin they had uh, just before him they had, they had Ponte all that old. Langer Hayden <laughs> <laughs> yeah nearly you're nearly that not old really
1: not really <laughs> but what was it the... no but you look at you're right you do look at the batting lineups the best cricket team I ever played against was South Africa in 2012 and their lineup was Alviro Peterson Graham Smith Hashim Amler A.B. de Villiers Jacques Callis Jacques Rudolph J.P. Domeny Stain, Morkel, Philander, Imran Tahir. Horrifying. The best cricket team, best cricket team I've ever played against.
0: Horrifyingly good. And you look at the, those names, those those people who could actually bat. So I, I don't know. How are we supposed to tell except by using our eyes? Mm. But I think there are some things we can tell, which is that when you go and play against any country in the world now, and we haven't even mentioned Pakistan, Shaheen Shah Rafridi, for heaven's sake, Nazim Shah, who's, who's, a, who's 19 years old, that, that It must be harder for batters now because of the sheer quantity of good bowlers in each team. But at the same time, there aren't very many really good test match batters knocking about. You know, India had Tendulkar, Laxman, Dravid, Ganguly. They've got Kohli. They've got Rohit Sharma. They're probably the the best batting side in the world. But there aren't many that do that. And New Zealand are the team that really strike me as extraordinary. They said 482 the other day with the likes of Blondel, Daryl Mitchell. They didn't even have Kane Williamson. So there is something going on there.
1: Yeah, I also think the pitches over the course of the last four or five years have done so much. I mean, you look at this Ashes series that's just been played in Australia and they were five of the most sporting tracks that you're ever likely to see in Australian conditions. You look at the English conditions over the course of the last four or five years and... Some of the tracks that have been played on there, it's almost like painting lines on the outfield and cracking on. So there there are a number of factors into it. And that's the beautiful thing about cricket is that even though statistically you can look at people's careers and judge them by what their statistics were, but they have to also be judged against their peers at that period of time that they played, which is something that doesn't get done. So, yeah, it's a very hard one to decipher, but it's a fascinating conversation.
0: It's also a good reason for looking at England openers who averaged 30. And I'm thinking people like Rory Burns and thinking, you know, that's not a bad average for an opening bat around the world. At the moment, if you average 30 around the world, I had to judge the openers of the year for Wisden Cricket Monthly a couple of years ago, and there were four openers in the world who had played five test matches who averaged over 30 in that year. There were Tom Latham, Dino Karuna Ratna, David Warner, one other. So, you know, we, 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 we've all got to, like, try to understand what's going on in front of our eyes. What's going on in front of our eyes is that bowlers are definitely dominant.
2: I, 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 it's interesting you mentioned that, and Karuna Ratner in particular, because I was going to throw his name out there as probably the best of the rest in terms of batsmen in the last few years. And he's been unbelievable open in the batting for Sri Lanka. And he's got a batting average of 39 and yet he's probably consistently one of the best openers in the world right now. So you're right. We maybe do have to move the goalpost a little bit for, for what's acceptable. What's interesting as well is pretty much everything you guys have said is backed up by statistics. You talked about the depth of bowling. Change seamers in the last four years. The change bowlers have averaged 27.85, which is pretty much the same as the guys with the new ball. That That was unheard of a few years ago. And as many as 19 bowlers have taken over 50 wickets in that time. So I mentioned uh, Cummins, Ashwin, Rabada and all that lot. But there's another there's another long list of guys who have taken over 50 wickets at 25. So it's definitely a strength in depth for the bowling. I do think, like you say, we have to judge it with our own eyes. Definitely there's not the quality of batting that maybe there was a few years ago. And I think surely that has to have something to do with the advent of the the white ball game. But I do wonder as well, and this is not just a cricket thing, this is a sports thing in general, but especially cricket. Cricket, I'm a huge boxing fan and a huge cricket fan. And they're the two sports that I know that I'd say live in the past the most. They love looking back. In boxing, they love looking back at great fighters. They love looking back at the Ali Foreman-Fraser years. And in cricket, we love waxing lyrical. Even more recently, we love waxing lyrical about the West Indian fast bowling attack and the the Australian team of the late nineties and the early noughties. So I think we maybe do you think there's sometimes a bit of romanticism goes into it as well. We kind of eulogise yeah. ex players a bit more than we we think about the current lot.
0: Yeah, we definitely do because the the nature of sport is that it's about individuals because you get individual storylines and so we latch on to that person and we forget all the times you know Rick, Viv Richards averaged just over fifty in Test cricket. He got a lot of scores under 20, like every batter does. Yeah. You know, they get out. Um, Imran Khan was one of the great bowlers. He, he's taken none for a 95 on a flat, on a flat deck somewhere. All these things happen. It's a, it's a brutal thing about cricket. But but I think one of the things that is, is more... Is, I, it's not surprising to me, but I'd love to hear Finney's view on this. It, it strikes me that the bowlers have actually adapted better to the the massive transitions between white ball and red ball that we ask of cricketers these days. The amount of T20 cricket we expect Trent, Bolt, Jasprit, Bumrah to play and then turn up and perform brilliantly with a red ball and it's a completely different skill. I think the bowlers are adapting better and quicker than the batters are.
1: Well, I'd say that yes, but I'd also say that There's something about white ball cricket that makes your focus very specific about what you need to and want to bowl. So it can narrow your mind and and that can make you really precise with what you're doing. So if you want to hit a Yorker, you're aiming at a bit on the pitch that's probably about a foot squared. Otherwise, you're getting whacked. Whereas as a batter in white ball cricket, you can definitely be more frivolous with the way you go about playing your shots because the field's up, you can edge it and get four runs if you miss as a bowler, more often than not, you get whacked. Whereas as a batter, if you miss, you can get rewarded quite frequently in white ball cricket. So I think that the way that those roles have evolved in white ball cricket means that when it comes to test matches, all of a sudden you're trying to hit a two metre bit of pitch more frequently. That, That seems a lot, lot easier than hitting a one foot squared piece of pitch. So as long as you're fit enough and your body's robust enough to be able to do it, actually... Bowling in test match cricket becomes a lot easier because you haven't got the pressure of someone trying to hit you for four or six every single ball. Whereas on the flip side, your discipline that's required to build long six hour test match innings is eaten away into slightly or not slightly, quite considerably, you would argue with the way that you play in white ball cricket. And there's only a few batters in the world who've managed to master. I mean, arguably even Joe Root hasn't. He doesn't play in England's T20 team. But you look at the great players, and there's only a few of them that have managed to
0: transcend those records across formats. Who are? I mean, in te- from T20, it's a really, really good point. From T20 to Test matches, from a, from ODIs, you can see it a lot. You see it in mm. Coley and Root. You see it, it Barbara Zam extension, Barbara Zam exactly. But then you see Barbara Zam in T20, and it's a bit embarrassing. I mean, it's why Karachi have lost nine out of ten games is partly because Barbara Zam's getting thirty four off thirty two. You know. Brilliant patter, mm. but what's he doing? And, and Coley as well has always been an issue with T20 cricket. Who is it? Is it... Is it Rohit Warner? Sharma. David Warner. David Robert Warner. Rohit Sharma. I mean, Rohit Sharma is fascinating because Rohit Sharma, T20 gun player, played probably one of the most important innings of the summer last year at Lord's on a green top when England put them in. And he and... Who was opening with him? Remind me. Is it Rahul? Rahul, yeah. K.L. Rahul batted through the first session played and missed a million times, but were 60-odd for none. Mm. And, I mean, that was so rare, isn't it? It's so rare in modern cricket to see a player who can do those two things.
2: Yeah, you, you are bang on. I, I touched on that a, um, a few months ago, and we were talking about how frustrating it was watching England. And, uh, and you know, I talked about the Alex Hales and Jason Royce and those experiments that we've tried to get white ball gun batsman in the England white ball setup to come across and play red ball cricket. And they, they've they not been able to make that adaption. And yet Rohit Sharma, really, when you actually think about it, is a, a bit of a freak. He's an anomaly, really. It, so it's clearly not something that's very easy to do. Um, and I'm sure there is also an element that, you know, there's a shit ton of money to be made playing white ball franchise cricket around the world at the moment.
1: But the pitches that you play on make a considerable difference as well. If you try and take a Jason Roy... Alex Hales into test match cricket in England and bat them in the top three. It's a recipe for disaster. Whereas I actually think if you were to take Jason Roy and bat him in Australia for Australia and bat him in the top three, I think he'd score runs. His defense is solid enough. The ball doesn't move laterally. That would be the threat to him. The balls that would be hitting his shin and halfway up the stumps like he was exposed to in that Ashes series three years ago against Australia against some of the best sustained fast bowling I've seen live and firsthand. It was incredible to watch, but yeah, I I also do think that you look at what happened to David Warner, that series, he averaged eight or something, didn't he? Or maybe not even that. So, Mm -hmm. uh, and we're talking about him as one of the great players who've transcended formats over the last 10 years. So yeah, the pitches and, and where you play and where you grow up definitely make a difference to that as well.
2: Now, here's a question for you. I talked about the fact that we romanticise past cricket and, and, you know, bygone eras. The strike rate of bowlers has, obviously in this period as well, been very, very good. Bowlers have been taking their wickets quicker, pretty gradually, actually, pretty consistently over the last, not just the last four years, but for a long time now, bowlers' strike rates have been on the way down. But on the flip side, as you'd imagine, the run rates are going up. So batsmen are scoring over three runs and over on average internationally. You take that back to, you know, the 60s and it was down at 2.1. Is cricket now more exciting and better than it was 20 years ago? Test cricket, is it more exciting and better than it was 20 years ago? Dan Norcross.
0: 20 years ago, probably, yeah. But that was the start of the era of test cricket being really brilliant. And it sort of started to become really brilliant around 2003, 2004, not just because from an English perspective England were getting better, but because there was a similar thing going on. You know, there was a a little spur of really good bowlers and really good teams, actually, and that was the key thing. I mean, all these rose-tinted spectacles you talk about, you you and I are both sat in Law's Taverners uh, dinners listening to elderly farts talking about how brilliant it was in the 70s. Yeah, that the was only, you. The, uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> the only teams that were any good in the seventies were England, Australia, and the West Indies. And Australia were getting a bit rubbish. Uh, Pakistan were nearly quite good. India were mostly shite. There wasn't South Africa. There wasn't Sri Lanka. There wasn't Zimbabwe. There were there were, there were bloody you know, hardly any teams. And there was New Zealand, which was essentially Jeremy Coney and Richard Hadley trying to make things happen. So, you know, where we're at now is that there's way more competitivity. There are way more people playing around the world with way better facilities, getting paid way more to do it. And surprise, surprise, the quality of what you see is better. And also the big surprise, and this is something that people have got to understand, is that you know cricket is a game. I know all the bowlers say it's a game for batters, but it isn't. It's a game about bowlers. That's what what we watch when we watch cricket is how you're going to take 20 wickets. The bowlers are the most important things. They determine what, what is going to happen there. And the batters actually, apart from Bradman, who's completely out there, they all have averages that suggest that over a period of time, over a series of matches, no single individual batter makes an enormous amount of difference. As Brian Lara proved by being the best batter in the world by a mile in a West Indies team that lost every time. So your bowlers are the most important things, and bowlers are, as Finney has brilliantly explained there, getting better, in large part because they're being asked to do more and more specifically difficult things. As T20 becomes, and the 100 and all those kind of competitions are about about what you do, you've got to execute those skills so accurately and so perfectly that when you come into test cricket, you have got actually a natural advantage over the batters who are not in that space. And that is what cricket's going to look like. It seems to me for the next few years, at least until batters combat it, which they always have done.
1: So this week we, um, well, we were meant to be in the marquee at Sussex. We've, we've been bowling in the tent outside on the practice pitches. So it's nice. The balls that we've been using have been about 150 overs old, but they still nip around a little bit. And, Tamar Mills, who's just been signed in the IPL auction and has been very good in T20 and um, short format cricket for a, for a while now, but particularly over the last 12 months, he was licking his lips to come and have a bowl at the boys with 150 over old Red Bull, just so he could try and nick some people off and, and get a few wickets that way, rather than have someone try and twat him all over the place. Yeah, so all week he's been saying, or for the last week or so, he's been saying, right, Monday... Can't wait to get my hands on a red ball. And then the tent almost got blown away over the weekend. So he missed, a, missed out on his chance today. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's it. You know, never really thought about that. Because, Finney, what do you reckon the most satisfying wicket is to take? Because at my very dog shit standard compared to yours, I've always said a snick through to the keeper where the ball doesn't even move after it's caught the edge of the bat is the most satisfying way. But Tyler Mills probably hasn't taken a wicket like that in about five years. All of his are like slower balls caught a deep backward square leg. What do you reckon the most satisfying wicket is to take?
1: Cartwheeling stumps pretty pleasant. I would have you. No, exactly. You barely blow the bales off with those things that you (laughs) fart out your ass, honestly.
2: (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what else is fun. An LBW because you get the satisfaction of the appeal. And then the moment the finger goes up is a very satisfying moment as well. But cartwheeling stumps, I'd say my my stories on cartwheeling stumps are very minimal. But I've never thought about that. The modern day bowler, some of these lads that come straight through and just play IPL, they won't know the feeling of a little feather through to the wicket keeper or first slip. They'll never experience that. They'll get wickets caught like long on in the fourth over.
0: Surely the most most satisfying dismissal for any self-respecting fast bowler is short-pitch ball at Timorous Batter, who collapses in terror and falls on all three stumps i mean you know hit wicket hit wicket is by far and away the best they're they're backing away so far they're getting so deep in their crease they're so desperate that's what you really want as a quick bowler isn't it no i wouldn't say so i because if someone's carrying it's scared knock helmet onto the stumps that's got to be good
1: no, I've put a hole in someone's helmet before. Saranga Lakma at Lords. They made Ooh. me sign it. It's in the Lords Museum, I think. <laughs> Literally really? a hole in the helmet. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, the fact that I signed it was pretty bad. Now, but he's um, <laughs> he's just signed for Derbyshire, so he might get his own back on me this year if he remembers.
0: <laughs> he's just <laughs> retired, has not he? He's just retired from international cricket, Saranga yeah, yeah, he and...
1: signed a three-year deal at um,
2: Derbyshire, I think. Oh, he's gonna love a little in in. In April, a little green wicket. Oh, we'll have
0: fun on them. He's also he's also the only international cricketer who looks completely exactly like a wacky racist character. Because <laughs> if you check him out on Google, he looks like Dick Dastardly, so much like Dick Dastardly I'm, I'm that trying it's to almost impossible like to face. believe. I know he's got he a long, go big on, mane of out. hair. Check it. Come on, check him out on Google now. Yeah, there is a bit of Dick Dastardly
2: about a him. Actually, I'll give you that.
0: Yeah, he's an enormous amount of Dick Dastardly. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah.
2: I need to find. I, I, I was about to type in Saranga Lackmel's helmet into Google Images, but uh, do you know what? I might, <laughs> I might, I might hold fire on that. To be honest with you, with all this talk of, you know, years gone by versus the modern era, I'm going to throw some quick fire names at you, Stephen Finn, and you're going to tell me who, which the better player is. Okay,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you ready? Tendulkar or Kohli? Kohli. Okay, this is meant to be quick fire.
0: That Fuck was brutal know. question. Though. That was hang on. I had to you think, think about that one. To You know, that it's quickly. got to be quick fire. he be effigies being burned of Stephen Finn. Whatever <laughs> answer he gives there, yeah. and he's like trying to work out what's the fewest number of effigies I can get burnt of myself. I I was promised quick fire answers, and he took fucking ages there. That was like one of the yeah, quick
1: AirPod, answers. Give me some quick fire questions because my AirPods are on five percent. Here,
2: okay. Go. Hayden or Warner? Hayden. Both for more Stokes. Stokes, McGrath or Anderson? Oh fuck off,
1: um, <laughs> McGrath.
2: <laughs> Gilchrist or Davilliers? De De Villiers. Cummins or Lee? Cummins. Antinio or Rabada? Rabada. Okay, now, now we can dissect some of
0: those. They were quite easy, I thought. Apart from, I thought Stokes, both of was a really, that like, was cruel. Anderson, Anderson McGrath was just like nasty because, you know, we all know that McGrath is A, the best, and B, Finney. I mean, bless him. Look at him. He's, you know, that's
2: your friend, that. That's your good yeah. mate, Jimmy, you've let down. Finney right? and Glenn. They're Cindy both my B, friends, actually, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Well, yeah. I made but, him pick between two of his best friends, Hayden or Warner. I mean, I think Warner, if he hadn't had that, Period out of the game, he's never quite come back to his. But pretty to that, he was pretty damn good. He was pretty damn good. Um, yeah, but
0: Hayden, you know, Hayden, 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 really, Hayden makes a really makes a great button nut, nut squash curry, which I think is what Finney's talking about here.
1: He's just named his um he just named his dog Alfie as well, is in in memory of um, Justin Langer. There you go. <laughs> 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 well, then, fair, well then fair enough
2: stupid question in hindsight uh tendorka or coley you went coley finney now i have got two problems here first is that i loved Sachin Tendulkar, Tendor i absolutely worshipped him so i'm massively biased secondly i can't help but think about current coley as in the last couple of years coley but i guess you're looking back at peak coley of a few
1: years ago Um, I'm looking at Pete Coley, who helped India win games of cricket and scored runs in winning games of cricket. I think, I mean, Sachin Tendulkar, obviously legend of the game. But how many times were his hundreds, important, important hundreds for India to win games of cricket? And I'd say Coley's probably done that more than Tendulkar has across all formats.
0: You've also, Toby, just spent the first 25 minutes of this podcast talking about how bowling is so much better nowadays and there are hardly any good batters. And Coley was, he is matchless in an extraordinary era. Well, he's up there with four other batters, isn't he? Whereas, you know, Tendulkar was facing the likes of Stephen Finn. So... You know, it was true, actually. Yeah, much easier in those days when
2: you put the Finney factor in. Actually, everyone was shit back then in hindsight, they should have all been averaging triple figures. That's what you've been saying. Look, don't put that on me. (laughs) That was was your theory. (laughs) But no, I I said earlier we romanticize former players, and I romanticize Sachin Tendulkar. I do, I know know I'm doing it. I kind of know I'm wrong, but I'm just doing it anyway because I want to because I grew up watching him and I like him. And that's my reasoning. And there's no better reason than that. I know that you've got, like, reasoned arguments and debate, but I really liked Sachin Zendelk when I was a kid, and you can't take that away from me. It's I essentially what I'm talking about here. <laughs> snowflake. Exactly. Uh, very quickly, Rohit Sharma, who we have actually touched on a few times in this podcast already, but he is now the uh, Indian captain in all three formats. He kind of seems like the obvious choice. Um, his test forms really come on the last couple of years. We mentioned, you know, a welly batter in England, finally got that overseas 100 as well. And it seems a popular choice in India as well. Finney, I want to ask you, you don't have to name names. You can if you want, but a good captain and a bad captain, I'm going to assume that you've played under a bit of both in your career. What's the main difference? What's What, what are the best captains doing? What are the worst captains doing?
1: Uh, the best captains command dressing rooms and respect, I think just a simple first port of call is being able to speak and everyone in the dressing room listens and your ability to deliver a point or a message is concise and and straight to the point as opposed to waffling around it where things get lost in translation and I think a bad captain doesn't manage to find a way to galvanize the team towards a common goal in some way and whether that's through lack of preparation or lack of want or understanding that then yeah i'd say across all the captains i've played under in the last 17 years the best are concise and to the point
0: the worst um lack clarity it's it's interesting you say that because um cricket fans largely imagine a captain as being some kind of tactical genius it's like the the myth of jardine and brearley and what you're you're What you're talking about there is not about what they do on the pitch, isn't it?
1: Yeah, this is within the dressing room, um, very much so. So I think, yeah, out on the pitch, the decisions generally, they, they make themselves. It's not often that you would find that many outlandish decisions for a captain to make. The flows of the game do tend to follow the same path a lot of the time. Obviously, field settings and things come into it, but... A lot of the job of a captain within a cricket team is to support the coach in making sure that everyone, because it's a very individual sport, is making sure that everyone and all the personalities in the dressing room are buying into and towards doing something. How much does it matter that your captain's playing well and is a a good asset to the team? Yeah, it's pretty fundamental. I wouldn't say it's the absolute be-all and end-all because people understand that captains go through peaks and troughs in form but also that's where a good captain remains level and remains calm even though they're out of nick Um, and that's something that especially with Owen Morgan who's a fantastic leader he will always remain calm even if he's in bad nick he'll stick to the processes and the things that he knows work for him and then he will stay calm and that calms people down around you if a captain becomes frenetic when he's trying to find his way back into form, then that rubs off on other people more than you would imagine. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's imperative that the captain's always in good form or the best player. It definitely helps, but it's more how they react to being out of form and react to adversity that's important.
0: Is, is there any licence given to captains for, by players for realising just what a nightmare job it is because you're not just being captain on the field there, you're having to go out, you're having to front up, you're having to do all the media shit. Do other players appreciate that and understand that?
1: Yeah, to a certain extent you do, especially if you've done any sort of captaincy before, you realise that the decisions and things that you're going through consume you way beyond the hours of play or the hours that you're at the ground. That's one thing that captaincy does bring with it, is the extra responsibility of the decision-making that goes towards picking a team or picking a touring party or, or something like that but yeah I think the captain is very much shoulders a lot of responsibility that not everyone in the dressing room realizes the extra bits that a captain would go through because a lot of them are done behind closed doors um, but but certainly a good captain is very much appreciated by a team for the for the weight that they take off everyone else
2: it is so bizarre there's no other real sports like that where your captain I mean a a cricket captain's more like a manager in football, really a player manager essentially, because in all others in in all other sports, you pretty much I mean the captain in football, what does he do? A coin toss at the start and then he runs around and he's got an armband on and the others don't. Doesn't really have any say in the decision making or anything like that. But in cricket in, you are in, tactician,
0: in, team in rugby, selector. You get told off by the referee and told to go and tell one of your players to do something. So then you go and pretend to do that. Yeah. But in in cricket there's something really weird that goes on and we impute in it a certain mystical madness. So like, you know, Brearley is some kind of weird Svengali, despite the fact that he, what did he average? 22 yeah. in test cricket? <laughs> but, you know, he was worth way more than that as captain in our minds. And he probably mm. was.
2: Mm. Yeah, that's it. It's, I'm glad I asked that because it just, it is fascinating. There's no other role quite like it I could think of in sport as, as the cricket captain. There's so much... On and off the field, they have to do. Uh, Very finally, before we say goodbye, uh, in this week, in the year 2003, I wanted to mention this bit of cricketing history. It was the week that Canada's John Davison scored a 67 ball century against the West Indies at the World Cup. It is the most mind blowing innings ever. For a long time, it was the fastest World Cup 100 ever. He had a batting average going into that game uh, for South Australia, a first class batting average of (sighs) 10.85. (laughs) <laughs> and went on to, to smash West Indies all around the park for 167. Uh, unfortunately, the rest of his team, rest of Canada, did absolutely naff all. And, uh, and the West Indies ended up winning the game despite his heroics. But an unbelievable you, mu- you,
0: must have, you, must have, you must have played a club game like that. And Philly, you must have played a game like that. I, I played in a game with a guy called Jonathan Wall, who never before or after got over 20 runs. Hit 100 off 70 balls against Oxshot Village, smashing ball after ball into tennis court, And I couldn't believe it. And I was captain. I picked him, you know, for the next two years. And he never got out of single figures, basically. Um, you, you must have, you must know those guys that do that thing that one day. I mean, Jack Chantry, Jack Chantry did it against fucking Surrey, but he took something like 12 wickets and scored 100. To win a game. Jack Shantry. I love Jack Chantry. Very fine man. Umpire. <laughs> I've been on a holiday with him. But fuck me. Did he really need to take like 12 wickets and score 100 against Surrey batting in number 10? What a <laughs> what,
2: Have you played in a game, for where one bloke has just absolutely torn shit up and everybody else around him's done nothing?
1: Uh, yeah, I did it, actually.
2: Oh, God, here we go.
1: You know, genuinely, my best ever bowling performance in a game was... I took fourteen for a hundred in a game, and we lost.
0: <laughs> How many runs did you score? Uh, not
1: many, I don't think.
0: Well, that's probably why you lost, isn't it? It's you know, you off. need to have a long hard look at yourself. In yeah. the well, you were
1: telling me that bowlers won games earlier. I took nine for thirty-seven in the second innings, and we lost by a considerable <laughs> amount of
0: runs. Well, clearly their bowlers bowled better than the rest of your bowlers, and you know, and if your bowlers. That aren't you, aren't going to bowl that well. You need to bat better, you know, because you're part of a team, Finney. Part of a team is well, not baz, just you yeah. know, just bat better.
1: Yeah, yeah. You could- you'd be a good captain, actually. Dan, speaking like that, <laughs> no, fuck yeah. off. You said what happened today, bat better. <laughs> okay, yeah, oh, that's good. Yeah, it's actually a real shame. It's a real shame that. It's a shame that the second half of this podcast has actually been relatively interesting, but no fucking person's going to hear it because our shit the first <laughs> bit was.
0: Well, I'm off to have dinner with Janet Banana, so fuck the lot of you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> to, to be fair, I like the fact that uh, Finney just mentioned there that Norcross, you might be a good captain. Finney said the two key qualities of a good captain were that he commands respect and that he's concise and doesn't waffle. Yeah, Norcross would be a great fucking captain. <laughs>
0: can i just have 10 minutes to answer that question Uh, yes absolutely (laughs) Uh,
2: chaps well i'm gonna say goodbye but uh considering that absolutely nothing really has happened this week in the world of cricket i think we blagged an episode there we'll get away with that i
0: reckon do you reckon
2: yeah i mean if they're still listening at this point then i think less of them for doing so anyway really
0: can we not think of something crickety just before we leave uh gladiators are they up to something? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anymore. I've been watching Survivors all week. It's a 1970s dystopian post-pandemic view of the world gone crazy, which featured a scene at the Oval Cricket Ground. And it freaked my mind out because it turned out that that was actually broadcast on my seventh birthday in 1976. And I got very I got very wet-eyed and teary. And that's something about the human condition. So I'm just leaving you with that whole kind of like feeling of this like entropy and encroaching death.
2: Well, I'd rather that we finished on entropy and encroaching death than Finney boasting about his 14 wickets in a match. I'd rather we finished on that. So fair enough. Chaps, I'll see you next week.
0: Bye. See
2: Sports Social Podcast Network.